0: So, this morning, if you would open up your Bibles, we're going to do a little bit of bouncing around this morning, so let me just apologize ahead of time. So, hopefully, you know your books of the Bible, because we're going to do a little bit of turning pages. Uh, But open up to Luke chapter 10. This is going to be our starting point scripture. Luke chapter 10. Now at this point in Jesus' ministry, um, He has named His 12 apostles after a night in prayer, speaking of prayer. He prayed all night. He named them. He sent them out. They've been doing ministry. Miraculous things have been happening. Um, Lepers are being cleansed. Blind people are being made to see. Dead are being raised back to life lame or given the ability to walk again. So there's his ministry is thriving and there's people following him. But at the same time this is happening, the religious leadership of the day is coming after Jesus. They are trying to figure out a way to take him out. They're jealous, they're envious of, of what's taking place in his ministry. And so that just sort of sets the scene. And as we look at chapter 10, it says, After these things, that's, all the things that have happened prior, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. So when it says that He sent out these 70 others also, this is other disciples. Now when we think of disciples, we typically think of the 12. Peter, James, John. right? We think of those guys But we have to recognize that while they were disciples, they were also called into a different specific ministry of apostleship. Jesus sent them out with a very specific ministry. Uh, They were going to be the guys to uh, continue on to start the church, the early church. uh, And their ministry was very specific. But anybody that wanted to come and follow Jesus could be a disciple. And that applies today, too. If you want to be a follower of Jesus... That's what it means to be a disciple. The word disciple actually means learner, right? And and a, or a close follower. So if I'm going to be a learner or a close follower of someone, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, imitate them. Be with them, right? You you spend time with them. You hang out with them. You imitate them, and that's exactly what in Jesus' day, when a, a learner, if somebody, if a teacher would take you on as a disciple. You would literally follow them around. You would do life together. You would watch that person teach. You would watch how they interacted with people. Watch how they prayed. Remember the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw the power that was in Jesus' prayer life, and they realized there was a connection. So if there's any more reason to get involved in the prayer ministry, now you have one, right? Connect with God. Oh, and Darlene's holding up a card. There's a card you can fill out. To become part of the ministry? Oh, behind the seats. If you have a prayer requests or you want to become a part of a ministry or something. And you can drop them in the box. There you go. But Jesus' disciples wanted to learn how to pray. They wanted to be like Him. and that's. But that wasn't limited exclusively to those 12. Here we see He's going to take 70 others and He's going to send them out. And uh, it says in verse 9 of chapter 10 that He sends them out to heal the sick. And to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Right? And if you and I want to be a disciple of Jesus, it's the same thing. We imitate him. We, we spend time with him. We watch his life through the pages of Scripture. We see how he does things and then we go out and imitate it. We want to be a close follower. But So he sends these 70 out and he sends them two by two. Notice what it says, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So there's a couple interesting things in this verse. He sends them out two by two. That's a great model for ministry. Why? Why do we want to go out two by two? As opposed to, I'm going by myself. I'm I'm like Rambo Christian. I'm going to go pound down doors all by myself. No, we want to go two by two. There's two reasons. I want you to picture in your mind, you decide that you're going to go out and you're going to go share the gospel with people, like, like at the mall or in, on the street. You want two people with you. One, there's protection, obviously, if somebody wants to thump you for talking about Jesus, you got somebody to have your back. You have a witness there in case you get accused of something that didn't happen. And then lastly, and most importantly, you have somebody there to pray. If you've ever gone, who, anybody in here, just raise your hand, have you ever been out Street witnessing, evangelizing, doing something like that. So a number of hands go up. When you when you when you go out and you do that, what happens is you may contact a person. Let's say I contact you and I say, "Hi, how are you? You know, can can I share with you about Jesus?" And and one one of the things I like to say is like, "Hey, how are you? What's your name?" What's your name, Monica. 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 My name's Dave. And oh, well, okay, you're Monica. She's lying. But that happens too. Don't lie in church, <laughs> right? So you go say, "Hi, my name's you're, you're Monica. My name's Dave, and uh, you you want to take a test?" And most people are like, yeah, a "Test? And, you know, Come on, it'll be fun. We'll take a test, right? Pass or fail. Have you ever told a lie?" Right? The answer, obviously, yes. Okay. Well, there's you fail. Ha, have you ever done the Done this or done. You can just kind of go down the Ten Commandments. And yeah, yeah. So, according to your answers to the test, do you pass or fail? Well, I I failed. And then you get an opportunity to come in to share the gospel. What happens is that I might go out and I might talk to Monica. And Monica, I might try to start this conversation, but there's no connection here. But for some reason, she's connected to my partner that I'm out with. And all of a sudden, they can be—it's a natural conversation, a natural connection. Well, when that happens, the other person can just stand back and pray, pray that the crowd listening would would be hearing the message. They can pray for Monica specifically, or they can pray, right? Like the—that's the the purpose of going out two by two. And that happens frequently when you go out sharing. Is that sometimes you'll you'll make contact, but then the connection happens here, and and uh, so. That's why two by two. But then he says he's going to send them out before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus sends them out before him sort of as a preparatory. Hey, this the kingdom of God has come. They're healing. They're they're interacting with people and and they're able to share the hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And you know that we still have that command today. Flip over with me, Matthew. Hold your finger in Luke. Flip over to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. This is as Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, and he says to his disciples that were there Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. The command hasn't ended. That wasn't just for them. This is an ongoing commandment for every believer. You've all been given the Great Commission. It's not just pastors or missionaries, but each and every one of you, each and every one of us, has been given this command by Jesus to go out and to make disciples. Now, obviously, if you're not living like a disciple, it's hard to make disciples. So it starts with you as a disciple, but then you want to make disciples. That command didn't end, but what's so cool is that we're going out everywhere, into every city and place where we go, and we're proclaiming that Jesus is going to come. And you know what? He's going to come. He's coming soon. Are you ready? I'm ready. So verse 2 says, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he says to them, The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. What are we to do? Pray. We can add that to our prayer list. Pray for workers to go out into the harvest. But what's interesting about this is he says that there are few, and, and I think there's a really good picture of this. If you, Again, if you hold your finger there, turn with me over to John chapter 4. So this is a familiar passage where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, and she's got a, a whole bag of religious mixed stew. She really doesn't know what she believes. And Jesus introduces himself ultimately as the Messiah who she has heard about. He says, well, that one that you're talking about, that's me. And if you if you drink the water that I offer you, you'll never thirst again. And if you keep drinking of the water that you're drinking of, you're going to continue to be thirsty. And then she says, well, I want that water. Let me have that. Where do I get it? And so Jesus offers. He says, that's me. I'm where you get that refreshment and that fulfillment. And then, in the meantime, while Jesus is there, his, he was, says he was hungry, weary earlier on in that chapter, and his disciples have gone off to find food. And the, the woman now has left, and she's gone back to her village to tell all the men of the village what she has seen and who she has met in Jesus. And it says in verse 28 of Luke four, uh, I'm sorry John 4, it says, "The woman then left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ or the Messiah? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So that would be the men. They came out of the city, came to Jesus. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, they've come back now with the food, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought anything for him to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. And then he says to the disciples, Do you not say, or do not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes, and look at the fields, for they are, are already white for harvest. This is my personal belief that what they were seeing was all the men who were coming with their turbans on, the, that they would be wearing commonly in that day. Right? The harvest, these men are coming out. They're coming to hear the words of Jesus. And he says, you don't, don't worry about food. My my will, my food is to do the will of my Father. That's what fulfills me. That sustains me. But look up. The harvest is ripe. They're coming. And he says that here in Luke 10. He says the harvest is great. You know what that means? If he says the harvest is great, it's there. It's ready to be reaped, to be pulled in. But the laborers are few. I don't, have anyone had a, the Well, there's a lot of farms around here. I grew up in Southern California, sunny beach town. Um, You know, like I had no idea what an agrarian culture looks like or a farming culture looks like until I moved to the city of Hanford, California, right in the middle of the state, that green area that you see, there's more cows than there is people. Okay. And it smells like it. But one of the things that I learned there is there's a lot of agriculture that has grown there and it kind of brought this to light. If you've ever seen a cotton crop grow, it starts out really small, and in a very short period of time, the cotton crop has gotten tall, and then you come by the next day, and boom, the whole field is white with the cotton that's ready to be picked. And they have to get out there quickly and pick the cotton, because if it rains or something, it's going to ruin the harvest. So they send the cotton gin through, and then they have pickers that come through after that, and they pick pick all the rest of it. And then you come back home from work, And now the field is empty. It's like, it's amazing to see how it works. Jesus says the harvest is ripe. It's time to go out there. It's time to grab. It's time to pull in those from the harvest. But then he says this. This is really going to be, I've talked a lot, but this is going to be the sort of launching point of the majority of this message. He says to them, with that in mind, I'm sending you out. But the harvest is great, so pray that more people will come into the harvest. And then he says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. What? That doesn't sound good. Lambs among wolves? What? Uh, can we put that picture up of, that I have? So there's a picture here give you an idea, a mental thing. lambs among wolves So let me remind you what do lambs eat Grass. Grass awesome dude good answer What do wolves eat Lambs This is not a good combination Jesus says I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves This is that's that's pretty blatant right That's not good If you're the lamb so what are we to do? If I'm sent out as a lamb among wolves, that's a that's a horrible thing. How can this be a good thing? How can we expect to make it out there as lambs among wolves? Yeah. The shepherd, amen. That's the answer. Jesus, yes. The shepherd. If you're a lamb among wolves, and He goes on to tell them here, that I'm sending you out. Don't take anything extra with you. Just take what you have on your back. Trust God's going to provide for you. Right? But He says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Hey, that goes for us too. We are not. Christians as wolves don't leave a very good example of Jesus. Christians as lambs set a good example of Jesus. And it's because we have to be dependent on the shepherd. If I'm a a lamb amongst wolves, I stand no chance. No chance. I'm going to be dinner later on. But with the shepherd, I stand every chance. The shepherd gives you protection. The shepherd gives you the guidance. It's the shepherd who leads the sheep and keeps them safe. And so we have to stay with the shepherd if we are to be safe. As lambs among wolves. That doesn't, and again, as I say this, I have to preface this because of bad theology in our world. That does not mean you will not have problems in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Paul told Timothy, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Those are not the magnets we like for our fridge or the bumper stickers. Health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is hogwash. If you've fallen prey to that, throw it out the window and start studying your Bible. However, the shepherd keeps the sheep safe. The shepherd keeps the sheep where they need to be. It's all about the shepherd. Period. So with that, Let's learn about the shepherd a little bit. Turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, starting in verse one, it says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. If you're not familiar with again with shepherding and sheepfolds and what he's talking about here again this is not common so much in our society here but a sheepfold is a pen it's where the they would bring the sheep sort of at the end of their tour the shepherd would lead them out they would go out they would do whatever they do in the day in the pasture get water and then the shepherd at nighttime partly to keep them safe from wolves and different predators would bring them into the sheep Fold into the sheep pen, and then that's where they would be kept for the night. But notice it says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There's only one person who should have access to come in and out through that door, and that's the shepherd. And when he brings out his own, I'm sorry, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them, which is typical, right? So you're not in you're not alone when you don't understand something. The disciples needed more uh, teaching as well. But the question that I would ask, who are you following? Because according to what Jesus said, if I'm not following the shepherd, who am I following? And there's a lot of distraction out there there's, there's uh, celebrities, there's money, and jobs, and bosses, and people we, we think we should be looking up to or, or looking to for direction. There's politicians. There's all kinds of stuff going on in our world that serve as a distraction. But who are we following? We need to be, as Christians, we need to be following the shepherd. So we have a, a video here um, to play. They kind of help, because we ask ourselves sometimes, what does this mean that the sheep hear my voice and they follow me, but they won't follow anyone else? So I pulled up this video for us to watch. It's a couple minutes, but it'll give you a good idea. so that's a good picture for you. I know someone who's been over into the Middle east where they they uh had a lot of sheep and they did actually did something similar to this and they they were taught how to make the call that the shepherd makes and they went out and they tried to do the call and the sheep didn't respond, but just like that, as soon as the the shepherd said it, the sheep came running. And you see that picture. There's, There's a lot of people in the world who don't know the shepherd's voice. And they're following all kinds of things that are leading them down a path to destruction. But... Once they recognize the shepherd's voice, they come running. And if you don't know a lot about sheep, the Bible compares us to sheep. Sheep are not very smart. We we have a lot of brilliant people in our society, intellectually, but they're just not very smart. Sheep are not very smart. They've been called dumb. They've been called. They're known and prone to wandering. They wander off. From the shepherd The shepherd has to fight, if you will, to keep the sheep in the fold. Do you know that one strong-headed, stubborn sheep can lead a whole flock astray? And the shepherd that's has to work hard to keep the sheep together. If he's got a stubborn one, he has to spend more time with it. Maybe like Jesus did with Peter, James, and John. It's the uh, A shepherd has a rod and a staff. The rod is used as a corrective tool. If you're out of line, you get a whack. The staff is used to to pull and to guide you back in with the flock. It's a stubborn sheep. It's been known that a shepherd at times, and it sounds cruel, but a shepherd may have to break the legs of a stubborn sheep but then you know what happens the shepherd picks the sheep up puts it on his shoulders and carries it until it's well enough to walk again after that they've built such a close bond that the shepherd puts the sheep down and that sheep will never leave his side so you're starting to see a picture right this is a picture of, of something that we can relate to in an earthly sense, but there's a a spiritual thing going on behind it. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Anyone else is a a thief and a robber. He says to them, verse 7, Jesus said to them them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before Me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So that's good stuff. Right? Notice this that the shepherd, and this is true of those shepherds in the sheep folds, those pens that I was telling you about, oftentimes the shepherd himself will be the door. If if someone wants to come in and attack the sheep, they literally have to go over the shepherd. He'll lay down his life for the sheep. If If the sheep want to get out of the pen and wander off, they literally have to trample over the shepherd to get out. And when you think about that, Jesus said if you belong to Him, you're in the Father's hand, and He's in in the Father's hand, and you're in His hand. And no one can pluck you out. Do I believe that you can lose your salvation once you're saved? No. No. I don't. I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. But I do believe if you don't want it, He'll open His hand and let you go. So, when you think about that, you literally would have to crawl over Jesus to get away from Him. Anyone that wants to attack you or come after you, they have to crawl over Him to get in. So Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse ten, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have the life and that they may have it more abundantly. Who's the thief? Satan. Satan. Right? So again, if you're not following the good shepherd, there's all kinds of distractions. Satan does—he uh, will dangle anything in front, carrot in front of you. If you don't like carrots, maybe carrot cake. He'll—he'll right? he'll dangle it in front of you. And we're so—we're so easily distracted, and we're so easily torn away from Jesus by every little trinket that's out there. Let me follow this, or let me follow that. Satan's goal ultimately is to just destroy you. Think of the name of a book, but I blanked on it, so I won't bring it up. But Satan wants to distract you with every little thing. That's one of his tactics. It doesn't always have to be a big thing to get you like addicted to drugs to pull you away. Just a simple distraction, a simple blasé attitude about everything. Just to, eh, whatever I can. Yeah, I got. I said a prayer when I was ten, and now I'm good. You know. to not not really have, have sort of an apathetic attitude towards the Lord. And all these little things out there to distract you and to chase after every shiny little object. His ultimate goal, though, is to destroy you. He does not care about you. He hates you. Nothing that He offers you in the long run will do you any good because the cost is your soul. He wants to destroy you, but where it says... It says here, Jesus says that I have come, that they may have a life and that they might have it more abundantly. That sounds good to me. And I don't know how much thought you guys put into heaven, but something to really think about. And think of it not in terms of fat cherubs playing harps on clouds. But think of it in terms of a reality where I am going to be there with Jesus with loved ones who have passed. Think of it in terms of a new heaven and a new earth, which we'll get to in Revelation one of these Sundays, where we'll dwell forever. Where everything will be as it was intended to be by the Lord. There won't be any sin. There will be no remembrance of the former things. Jesus will have wiped away every tear. From your eye. Think of it in terms of like the way we know things here, right? I, I know uh, you guys just went to Hawaii not too long ago, right? Beautiful place, right? Lots of cool things until mosquito. He said no mosquitoes, okay. But what else do you have to do? You have to put on sun so you don't get sunburned. That can ruin a vacation. You... Now, currently in Hawaii, you have to wear a mask everywhere except for on a resort. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. So picture everything great about our world right now, but without any of the bad stuff. Everything and exciting thing that you can do here, that's what I picture about the future heaven and the future earth. I I may be wrong. God's probably going to blow my mind. It'll be even better than that. But that's all I can wrap my little mind or my sheep brain around is all the things that are great and that we love to do here will will it'll be better there. The Bible says we'll know even as we are known. Life abundantly, yes now, but ultimately eternally. No more worry about death or disease or having to fly out of town because someone's sick. But because Jesus is going to give it to us. He's already done the work at the cross, your sin debt was forgiven. but We have to take it. We have to receive it. And so he says, I've come that you might have life, life more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the sheep, who is not the sheep, I'll get it. He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hiring flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. All other sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So, who are these other sheep? Context is, is key. Jesus was talking primarily to Jews at this time. But he says there's other sheep that are not of this Jewish fold. That's, that's the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, congratulations. You're of the other fold. But Jesus says he wants to bring you together So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Maybe today you're not a believer in Jesus. You're outside of the fold. He wants to bring you in. And what's so awesome is that He doesn't care what you've done, where you've been, what you're currently and presently involved in. The invitation is open to you right now. To come in. To be part of His fold that you would come and and be present with Him, allow Him to be the good shepherd to you. Maybe you're one of the sheep who's in the fold, but you're always trying to run for the door and you've taken a few whacks from the rod. Know that when God delivers a punishment or a discipline to you, this is out of love. You parents know the difference, right? When you... Your kids might not always understand. But you know when you issue discipline done in love, it's for their good. God's the same way. He's the perfect Father. Know that when you're, when you're wandering a little bit, He's going to get that hook and He's going to bring you back in. If you're truly a born-again Christian, You cannot get away with sin. Your Heavenly Father won't let you. He catches you in it, and He puts the hook around your neck, and He pulls you back. You get exposed. Sometimes you wonder, how did I get exposed? How did did anybody find out? How did that happen? It's because God loves you. He wants the best for you. Sometimes getting caught is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And so, he's the good shepherd. He wants her to be one flock, one shepherd. Ultimately, again, in eternity, that's what we'll have. We'll have one flock, one shepherd. Jesus unifies. You realize that? He doesn't care what your background is. He wants to bring you in. To follow him and only him. Religion separates. Religion divides. It says, You don't believe what I believe, we can't talk. Some religions, You don't believe what I believe, and they want to kill you for it. Jesus doesn't care what your background is. He wants to bring you in, and He doesn't want religion. He wants to have a relationship with you. So much better. It's not what you can do to be right with God. It's what He's already done. And that you can receive it. Be made right. Your sin can be forgiven. Again, it doesn't matter what it is. Jesus forgives. There's a call to repentance, yes. A turning from sin. But anything can be forgiven. It doesn't matter what it is. Now, We've seen the video of the sheep following the shepherd, which is cool to see. So now, if you would, as we've been talking about this stuff, being sent out as lambs among wolves, we've now looked at the good shepherd. In case there's any doubt left in your mind, let's look at the shepherd through the eyes of a lamb. Turn with me to Psalm 23. This is a psalm of David. Often we hear this psalm at funerals. And I can understand why. Because it's comforting. People like to hear this psalm uh, when they're near death. They want to hear this one read to them because it's comforting to hear these things. But the reality is in context, this psalm is from the it's looking through the eyes of a sheep or of a lamb at the shepherd. You're hearing the the lamb's testimony of the shepherd, of the good shepherd. Right? And I think when we oftentimes we you might have a hard time believing something. Oh, I'm having a hard time with this or that that or the other thing, but My friend said that they went, and it really happened. So since I had their testimony, I'm going to go. So now, since we've been compared to sheep, and Jesus is the good shepherd, this is one of our friends, one of the lambs. okay? And he's giving us a a first-hand account, a first-person perspective of his view of the good shepherd. And so again, the Psalm of David. And David, if you remember, was a shepherd. So he would have a great understanding of all of the ins and outs of being a shepherd as it relates to the sheep. You wonder, why do shepherds love their sheep so much? Because they're costly. There's a great book out there uh, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Anybody familiar with that book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23? I see a couple hands go up. It's a fantastic book. Very short read. You could probably sit down in a couple of settings and read it. It's a great supplement to read with Psalm 23 and John 10 to help you get a greater understanding of the sheep-shepherd relationship. But the guy's name who wrote it is W. Philip Keller. It's on ChristianBook.com on sale now through the 13th for $1.99 or on Amazon for $6.99. I'm not trying to plug it, but it's well worth the purchase. I'm not getting any royalties. I've read this a number of times. It's very, very helpful in helping you to understand a cultural thing that we just don't understand in our modern culture. But the guy who writes the book is a pastor, but he also was a shepherd. And he explains that when he he saved up money for a long time to buy his starter set of sheep. And because he had spent so much money and saved up so much money to buy these sheep that they were so valuable to him. He paid for them. He loved them. He took care of them. He explains a lot of the things we're going to talk about and from the John 10 perspective in that book. But if you think about it like that, Jesus is the good shepherd. He said, I laid down my life for the sheep. He paid for the sheep. The price was paid at Calvary to bring you into the fold. And so now now these sheep that He loves so much... From the shepherd's perspective, he says in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. It's possessive. He's saying, it's like saying, that guy is my dad. Or, that guy is my coach. Or, I played football with that guy. right? He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. So personal. So proud. And then he goes on to say, I shall not want. I shall not lack. He's saying it with a puffed out chest. That is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. Because the shepherd is taking care of everything. I don't have to worry about a wolf. Because the shepherd, he's mine. Then he goes on to say, he makes me. Notice as you read through this, how many times is my shepherd. He makes me. He leads me. It's all about the shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures or in tender grass. So again, sheep are prone to wander. If the shepherd is not guiding them to the good to eat, they will go eat rocks. They'll eat weeds, bramble bushes. They'll they'll. He's going to say, "Makes me leaves me beside the still waters." They'll go drink out of dirty mud holes. There could be a beautiful pond of water and grass, and they'll go drink out of the dirty mud hole and eat the bramble bush. Right? The shepherd needs to guide them to the good things. And so he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, get you a nice spot to rest, good eating there. But notice it says right after that, it says he leads me. Well, there's an interesting thing about sheep, is if they eat a lot of good grass, they want to go lie down in the green pastures. But if they lie down too long, they tend to like to roll on their side and then they roll on their back and they end up in a position that's called cast. You heard of a cast sheep? A cast sheep is a sheep that's on its back and because his belly's so full, he can't roll back over and stand up again. And the shepherd if a sheep that's cast will die quickly in that position. But more likely, if they're in that cast position, they fall to prey. The wolves will come and get them while they're in that cast position. It's the responsibility of the shepherd, after they've eaten, after they've lied down, to come by and say, okay, come on, let's get up. It's time to go. I need to lead you somewhere else because you'll get cast. You'll get picked off by the enemy. You'll, get, you'll, you'll die in that position. That's why pastors are always preaching, read, come to church, get equipped, and then go out. Because if all we have is an inflow, but we have no outflow, then we can become cast spiritually. We need, it's it's healthy for us as sheep of His fold to be prodded along, to go out, to get out of your comfort zone, to go share, to reach out to somebody, to go on a mission trip, to do get involved in a ministry, to have that outflow. So it says He leads me Beside the still waters or the, the, the waters of rest, literally. And He restores my soul. Anybody like a good restoration project? I like them. I just don't like them all at once. Man, there's something about taking something that needs restoration and making it like new. Pinterest, TikTok, they're full of these things. Right? How to how to build something or take something old and make it new. Like people love to do this stuff. Guys like to restore cars, some girls like to restore cars. Make make something old but new, but he restores my soul. You know what that tells me? My soul is in need of restoration. Because I'm a mess. Apart again, apart from the shepherd, I'm a disaster. I'm a mess. What's so cool is that the shepherd loves us in our mess. And he wants to restore our soul. He wants to take what's broken and restore it. He wants to give beauty for ashes. Joy for mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Restores my soul. Again, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Or in the path of right living. Not towards something that's going to hurt you the shepherd loves the sheep he cares for them he guides them he takes them to the green pasture he takes them to the good water he protects them from enemies and why does he do it? for his name's sake Yahweh for his name's sake he doesn't want to put a bad name for himself and Yahweh means the becoming one. You know the Bible has like there's different names for God throughout the Bible. And if you put Yahweh in front of these or Jehovah in front of these, these are some of the things that God has referred to. Jehovah Jireh or God our provider. Jehovah Rapha our healer. Jehovah Shema always present. Jehovah Shalom our peace. Jehovah Nisi, the one who fights our battles. Jehovah Rohai, the good shepherd. Jehovah Sidkanu, our righteousness. He is what we need in every situation. And if you overlay those names in the context of the life of a sheep, and if you make yourself one of the sheep, whatever you need, again, it's about the shepherd. He takes care of it. He will guide you. He will lead you. He'll provide. He'll heal. He's always present. He gives you peace. He fights your battles. He's good. He's your righteousness. It's found in the shepherd. Everything you need for every situation. And then he goes on to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, They comfort me, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Again, oftentimes we hear this when people are near death or at a funeral or something like this, and it it does apply there. But what would happen as they would be walking the sheep, there was times where they would come across perilous circumstances, perilous uh, pathways. Maybe it's rocky and steep on one side and you could quickly fall to your death. Maybe there was... Uh, It was an area known for wolves or bears or something, right? You're a, a lamb amongst wolves. But he said, Though I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you, the shepherd, are with me. Then he says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, the rod is for correction. If the sheep is out of line, the shepherd might have to give them a whack because... He doesn't want him to fall down the cliff or to go on that area where he's going to get picked off by an enemy or a a wolf or bear or whatever it might be. Your staff, again, to guide you. Maybe you just need a little bit of a hook, right? Get get the shepherd's hook on the the neck and kind of move you back into place. And he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. God is not worried about the enemy of your soul. God is not worried about the things that we are worried about. That's what's so comforting. The sheep knows the Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm going with him. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What this would be is Again, the book, the credit to the shepherd's look at Psalm 23 book, he explains this. It's, there would be a plateau area, which would be a great place to take your sheep up and to have them feed. But in order for that to, to happen, the shepherd had to go long before the time when that was in bloom for the sheep. And he would have to clear the ground of rocks. He would have to get old bushes and weeds and things that were bad for the sheep out of the way. He prepared it beforehand. And so that all he does, he leads you there, and then you get to enjoy as one of the sheep. Everywhere we go, Jesus has already been there. But Joshua one nine is a great verse. It says, "For I have not, com- for have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Courage! Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you." Wherever you go. So he goes before them in the presence of their enemies. And he says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. The context here is the shepherd and sheep relationship. What happens around here in the summertime? What do we get a lot of at our houses? Especially if you have like a dog or something. I get, we got them a lot at my house. Flies. Flies, they annoy me. They annoy the dogs. right? You see them around horses, cows, livestock. Well, sheep attract flies too. Anointing the sheep's head with oil keeps the flies away. It keeps them from being pestered. Right? So again, you picture this. You come to Jesus. You allow Him to anoint you with the Holy Spirit. A picture of oil. It keeps the pest. Away. Doesn't mean that the pests don't come back, but Jesus is good to us. And he takes just like the shepherd would take the oil, the anointing oil, and he pour it over the head of that sheep that's being pestered by these flies, over their ears and over their head, so that the flies won't bother them anymore. Beelzebub is gone, the Lord of the flies. And then he says this. I don't like the punctuation that or the lack of punctuation in the Hebrew interpretation here, but it says, surely, and I think this should be like an exclamation point, surely, or at least a comma, goodness and mercy shall hunt me down, is the literal translation. They shall follow me or hunt me down. Surely. This is going to happen if Jesus is your good shepherd. Goodness and mercy will follow you. We have things going on in our lives that aren't always good. But we can be absolutely sure of one thing. Jesus is good and he has nothing but good in mind for you. But we have to take our mind off of the temporal plane and put it onto the eternal. Surely goodness and mercy will hunt me down. It happens here too, but we have to look through a different lens. We have to look through the lens of our savior. Is what what am I going through in my life surely this is leading to good in my life? Surely God has been merciful to me. Surely goodness and mercy will hunt me down just sometimes Yeah, all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Worship team, will you guys come back up for closing song? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know that that dwelling forever, yes, eternally we're going to dwell with the Lord forever, but Right now, the dwelling begins. You can dwell with the Lord right now. Jesus came that He could... Emmanuel, God with us. God tabernacling among His people. That's what's going to happen in eternity that will be so great. There won't be sin and everything else to mess it up like Adam did in the garden. But what did Adam do in the garden with God before sin? God came and He met with Him there. Adam and Eve were supposed to populate the earth so that that tabernacling would continue with more people. Sin messed it up, but Jesus came and redeemed it so that He came among us. And we're going to be among Him dwelling in His house forever. Isn't that awesome? So this morning, if you've been struggling in your walk with the Lord, maybe just trying to figure things out or thinking God doesn't love you, know that the Good Shepherd loves you so much. And... Maybe you've been getting whacked by the rod and wondering what's going on. But know that the good shepherd is correcting something and he wants to bring you right back into that relationship with him. Know that he is good and that he's taking care of everything for you. Even though you're sent out as a lamb amongst wolves, your shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, he is with you all the time. He's not going anywhere. Maybe you're here this morning and you just don't have a personal relationship with Him at all. And you're like, you know what? That sounds good. I'd, I'd like to be part of the fold. The invitation's open today. Don't leave here without getting right with the Lord. Whether you're saved, whether you're in a backslidden state, whether you're lost completely without a shepherd... Don't leave here without getting right with Jesus today. As we pray this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get right with Him. As we say frequently, it's not the prayer that makes you right with Him. It's the attitude of your heart. If in your heart you mean what you're praying, the Good Shepherd will be yours. So let's go ahead and pray now. Lord, we thank You so much. That You are good. That You are a great shepherd to Your sheep. That You desire to lead us and guide us. And God, forgive us for being so stubborn. So hard-headed. Wanting to drink out of every dirty cistern that the world offers. When You offer good things, good life for us. And Lord... I pray this morning that by your spirit, these things would just grab a hold of our hearts so we would leave here with a better understanding than we came in with this morning of how you relate to us and how we can relate to you. And would you just have your way in our hearts. And while we're in this attitude of prayer this morning, if you've uh, come in here and you've realized that there's something wrong in my walk with the Lord or I'm not saved and I, I need Jesus. I'd love to give you the opportunity to pray with me now. If that's you, would you just raise up your hand, raise it high so I can see it. I see I see you back there. I see you. Anybody, anybody else? I'd love to pray with you. I see your hand back there. Amen. I see you, brother. you. Let's go ahead and pray. If you guys would just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying for me, that I can be part of your fold. I pray that you would forgive me for my sin and that You would come into my life, and that You would lead me and guide me all the days of my life. I believe that You are the Son of God who died and rose again. And I thank You for saving me. Would You fill me with Your Spirit? In Jesus' name. Amen.